It's Monday, December 13th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The Biden administration has directed federal resources in FEMA to affected areas after devastating tornadoes hit six states in the South and Midwest, hitting Kentucky especially hard. As many as 30 tornadoes wreaked havoc over Friday night. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for the response, tensions rising with Russia, and Chris Wallace moves to CNN+. Next, months of pandemic learning and then switching back to in-person instruction has left many students without the social maturity needed to advance to the next grade. As a result, schools are having to deal with the wave of misbehavior of minor incidents, but also major things like fights and gun possession. Ben Chapman, national education reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how schools are responding more counseling, increased patrols, and fewer suspensions. Finally, we have been seeing a lot of action with the Great Resignation as people quit their jobs for better opportunities. But people aren't just leaving, they're broadcasting it to social media and finding a community with others who have done the same. Traditionally, career coaches wouldn't recommend speaking ill of former employers online, but all the rules have changed. Emma Goldberg, reporter at the New York Times, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. What I'm working with the governor of Kentucky and others who may want me to be there is I may make sure that we are value added at the time and we're not going to get in the way of the rescue and recovery. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, deputy Washington digital editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Well, we saw some devastating tornadoes hit late Friday uh, in about six states uh, in the South and Midwest. Kentucky looks to have gotten the worst of it. I guess they said there was 30 tornadoes across uh, Arkansas, Illinois, Kentucky, Missouri, Mississippi, and Tennessee. About 80 people, they say, are probably dead. They're still searching for survivors in the rubble. I mean, some of these pictures are, are pretty remarkable, just whole swaths of areas just flattened out and completely gone now. President Biden has directed federal resources to be directed to these affected areas, and and FEMA obviously has been mobilized already. For your listeners not from that part of the country, winter storms that bring tornadoes this time of year and further into the winter um, tend to be devastating. But this is really um, remarkable and uh, historic in the level of devastation. We saw tornadoes that stretched for miles and miles, very large tornadoes that left, as you described, these destructive paths behind them, leveling whole parts of towns and really just a horrific death toll um, and and magnitudes that uh, we don't normally see with these types of storms. So that region of the country very hard hit on Friday night. And President Biden offered his condolences to the families and remarks this weekend. And you're right, mobilized FEMA, the federal government, our emergency response declared a disaster in the region. And that means that more money will flow to those areas and really, you know, does what Biden does best, offered the sympathy that he could uh, to the people who lost their loved ones. I mean, the devastation is just, uh, it's hard to look at. And, you know, to your point, right, um, the cold weather in December, you know, there are some big weather actions like this, but not usually to this extent. That's why uh, a lot of people were shocked at how, how bad it turned out. You know, and it was in the middle of the night. Um, my dad was in Nashville. He said that the sirens heard going off at three o'clock in the morning. That doesn't allow the same type of communication and response for people to have to get to safety. And so in the middle of the night, awoken by the sirens, people really suffered these great losses in, in a storm that was much stronger than they expected it to be. 
Let's talk a little bit about Russia because tensions keep escalating with them as they build up more troops near the Ukraine border. I think the last time I saw they said uh, maybe about 90,000 troops are in that area. And according to the Kremlin, President Biden and Vladimir Putin have said that they agreed to hold more talks. Putin says he would like to see some uh, in-person meeting. President Biden already has responded saying, you know, we're going to respond with strong economic measures, uh, other measures. Secretary of State Antony Blinken was on Meet the Press on Sunday, and he said, you know, we might do things that we haven't done before. Um, So uh, they're trying to put the pressure on Putin. That's right. Russia has um, really escalated along the Ukrainian border. Uh, Folks will remember that um, several years ago they invaded Crimea, which was a a region in the Ukraine, and took control of that portion. There was uh, international uh, backlash to that, a lot of uh, criticism from um, other nations that Russia was cut out of the G7, then was the G8 before then. And a lot of things done to try to voice an opposition to that, but it's kind of been allowed to remain all these years. And now we see the Russians really escalating again towards Ukraine. And Ukraine is a large nation on the Russian border. The Russians have tried to exert a lot of influence. And the West, the U.S. and our European allies have also tried to um, exert influence there. We've told Ukraine they can join NATO at some point. Um, And that's really part of the reason that Putin is so mad about it. He doesn't want U.S. military installations or U.S.-backed military installations going into the Ukraine. Um, And that's why he's doing this. And we see a real propaganda machine working in Russia right now, uh, trying to make the Russian people believe that it's the Ukrainians who are the aggressors here um, and that Russian action is in response to that, that it's U.S.-backed efforts to make Russia less safe. Um, And we really see um, an escalating tension. And you mentioned these talks. Um, But right now, we really haven't seen any signs of de-escalation that would make us think that this couldn't get worse before it gets better. Wanted to move on before we end here to some media news. Chris Wallace, the longtime Fox News anchor, will be leaving. He's going to be going to, of all places, CNN, their new streaming platform, CNN Plus. He's been with Fox News for about 18 years. He said he's ready to try something new, go beyond politics. And we all know the reputation that uh, Fox News has, but Chris Wallace has always received good marks as a journalist, a tough interview, presidential moderator. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see the move that he makes now. Yeah, I mean, Chris Wallace is uh, really one of the best interviewers on Sunday morning news shows. Um, He's wonderful to watch. He's very great at asking the right questions and getting his his targets, his interviewees to really lay out what he wants them to. And so it is uh, an interesting move for him. He has been critical of Fox and some of the direction that Fox has taken at times felt that they were not serving as an independent news organization. So the move to CNN, which is trying to bulk up its streaming platform, as are we and everyone else. (laughs) Um, So this is a big move by them uh, to get someone who's really respected uh, on on their, their streaming waves. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Many, many schools are reporting rises in both minor incidents like students talking in class or talking back to the teacher or more serious problems such as fights or or weapons possession. Joining us now is Ben Chapman, national education reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thank you for having me. 
I want to talk about an interesting thing that's going on in a lot of schools right now. A lot of schools are kind of dealing with this wave of student misbehavior, and a lot of them are pointing to these closures that happened during the pandemic. Uh, I think somebody put it really well that uh, a lot of the kind of the social aspects of it, the social maturity is not there. And it's so crazy to think because these normal school years, right, have been affected almost three years now, right? It's three years back that there was a full normal school year. So kids are two years later, three years later in another grade now, and they're missing some of that social maturity. And we're seeing a rise in minor issues. We're seeing a rise in serious issues. It's all over the place, really. So Ben, tell us some more about it. That's correct. Basically, schools around the country in big cities and small cities, in rich areas and disadvantaged areas, in schools that had problems before and schools that didn't have problems, sort of across the board, many, many schools are reporting rises in both minor incidents like students talking in class or talking back to the teacher or more serious problems such as fights or or weapons possession. So it's a widespread issue. And, you know, anybody who's a parent or a teacher who's who's listening right now probably knows what we're talking about. Tell me a little bit about Southwood High School in Shreveport. They had uh, over a series of three days, uh, I guess, there was a bunch of different fights, one big brawl in particular, and ended up leading to 23 students being arrested and expelled. That's correct. There were three subsequent days of fighting at the school in September, about a month back into the school year. And that's correct. There were almost two dozen students expelled and arrested in these fights. And I I spoke with the principal at the school and, and students at the school and teachers, and they all told me the same thing, which was that Students were not prepared to come back to school. Particularly, there were a lot of underclassmen involved in these fights. And these were students who had gone straight from middle school before the pandemic hit to being thrust into a totally different environment in high school. And basically, the school struggled to deal with it. And, you know, when I talk to people about the causes behind this, when I talk to students and administrators, you know, it was disruption in kids' lives, job loss, sickness in the family, death of loved ones, isolation from friends, moving from place to place. So it's sort of a laundry list of the sort of traumatic things that a young person could experience. So what are schools doing in response to this? Uh, Obviously, they're increasing patrols from security guards, things like that. They're hiring more counselors. Some uh, places are reducing or eliminating suspensions and opting for more counseling. So there's a range of uh, ways that they're trying to fight this. Yeah, that's correct. And I, I think the sort of big picture take on it is that there's an emphasis on mental health that is new. And basically, you know, schools have been forced to reckon with uh, mental health issues that students are bringing back to school. And so they have a variety of different tactics to try and address this. And that could range from more counseling to uh, mindfulness lessons for elementary school students. They're doing that in Dallas. 
to lessons to teach kids how to socialize, things like just having kids discuss with each other what they did over the weekend to try and rebuild relationships. So it really runs the gamut. And in some places, part of the approach is also to, particularly in Dallas was one place that I focused on where they were doing this, and they, you know, eliminating suspensions and an idea of like not punishing kids as much as trying to support them or provide them with new tools so that they could sort of address the problems that they were having in school. Are they finding success with that, at least? Are they turning certain kids around with a more counseling aspect of it? You know, I talk to kids and, you know, teachers and, and you know, parents, and it sounds like they are, you know, anecdotally. It's early in the game, so there isn't a lot of data yet to either, you know, there isn't a lot of big picture data that like really gives us a full understanding of the scope of what's going on. But there also isn't a lot of data yet to tell us whether or not things are working. But anecdotally, you know, I'm I'm hearing that these types of approaches are proving to be, you know, at least somewhat effective. Ben Chapman, national education reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Hey guys, so I'm going to quit right now. It's hard for me because I love this job and I worked here for a year and I actually really like it, but the managers, the new ones, are being really mean to me. And I still have to mop and sweep, so I'm not going to just quit and leave it for them to clean because I feel bad. So I'm going to hop out the window when I'm done. Joining us now is Emma Goldberg, reporter at the New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Emma. Thanks for having me on. You know, throughout the pandemic and uh, the latter half, we've been talking about the great resignation. You know, a lot of people leaving their jobs, moving on, hopefully to bigger and better things. But what we're seeing in a lot of cases is these big public displays of these resignations, people broadcasting that they quit, you know, going out on social media and, you know, letting everybody know or, you know, even videos of how they did it, different things like that. I know uh, career coaches probably don't feel the best about those tactics, but, you know, all the rules have kind of changed. So, Emma, tell us a little bit about it. It's a great question. So I think, as you mentioned, more and more people are starting to pick up on the fact that people are leaving their jobs. So the quitting rate, which is the percentage of workers who are voluntarily leaving their jobs, reached 3% this fall, which is really high. There was one in 14 hospitality workers, for example, quit their job in August. But I think what's notable about this moment is that it's not just that the quitting rate is high, it's also really visible because people are blasting it on social media when they leave their jobs. That's not necessarily a lot of what career coaches would probably want or really wasn't what was happening a lot. You never wanted to disparage the company that you left or a former boss or something only because, you know, it might look bad for the next employer or somebody, especially now with social media, right? A lot of employers go back and check those feeds. You know, if there's kind of signs of uh, troublemaking or anything like that, you know, they might want to steer away from hiring you. That's exactly right. Some of the career coaches that I spoke with are pretty wary about this trend because they noted that, first of all, the labor shortage is not going to last forever. At some point, jobs are going to be in higher demand than workers. And the other issue is that regardless of whether workers are in demand or not, bosses and hiring managers are still most likely searching people on social media before hiring them. And they're often going to be a little bit skeptical if they saw that person posting about a former employer or a former boss. 
Yeah, but for them, for the employers, you mentioned also too, you know, it's this tough balance, right? Do I hire a dicey person maybe, or do I risk the burnout of others in the company? And that's a, a key thing, right? Because these staffing shortages obviously put more pressure on the remaining employees. If we keep that shortage and we keep that pressure up on everybody else, is the burnout worse rather than hiring somebody who might've posted something on social media? That's exactly right. It, it's a tough kind of between a rock and a hard place for employers. But some of the experts that I spoke with said that at the end of the day right now, what they're most worried about is these staffing shortages that are going to lead to burnout among their employees. And so sometimes they're willing to go for those slightly dicier hires, even if it's someone who, let's say, posted a TikTok ranting about a former employer or a former boss. For the piece you profiled, Gabby Ianello, she left her real estate job. Uh, I think she posted something to TikTok so her followers could see. How did her story go? Yeah, Gabby um, is a, a really fun voice in this piece. And she's someone who was working this really corporate job. She was waking up every morning before 5 a.m. and then going on this commute to the office where she didn't always necessarily feel like she was getting the fulfillment and the meaning and the benefits that she wanted. So February of the pandemic, she quit her job. She had about $10,000 in savings. And then she posted a TikTok about it, um, what I'm calling a, a quit talk, where she talks about why she decided to quit. And it really resonated with followers. And she ended up starting a podcast called Corporate Quitter that's kind of cheerleading other people who are quitting their jobs as well. Did she get another job or is the podcast the only thing she does right now? Because the only reason why I asked that is like, you know, then there was no danger really in posting that TikTok if she changed career course, you know, if she's making money elsewhere. So it'd be interesting to see that part of it. I think you're pointing to something really important, which is on the one hand right now, you have you have career coaches kind of urging people to make savvy choices. But then you have workers who are saying that over the past year and a half, they've kind of questioned their values. They've questioned what they want out of their work and out of their working days. And they've decided that they don't want to go back to corporate life. So if they're posting something that kind of slams shut the door behind them, they're not mad about that. And they're saying they've realized that they really want more agency and ownership over their careers. And in a lot of cases, that means creative pursuits where it's actually to your benefit to build a brand by posting even about quitting on social media. Right. And to your point, you know, they post the stuff, uh, people are, you know, maybe tuning out some of the career coach guidance, you know, the things in that area. And they're finding a community on social media. They're finding guidance on social media from other people, how they did it and what they're doing next. And, you know, people take those cues and, and, and use that advice as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. People are giving one another advice about how to quit. I spoke with a young woman named Gigi Gonzalez who left her investment management role and she actually uses her TikTok in part to kind of give people advice about how they can make similar moves to what she did. And I think what's an important point is that for all of these people who, who I ended up speaking with for the piece, um, the posts that they make about quitting are actually a really important part for them of building their brands and allowing them to do the kind of creative work that they want to do. So it's sort of expanding their audience and building and amplifying the platform that they have to talk to people. And they're, you know, they're owning what it means to be a quitter. To them, being a quitter is cool. Emma Goldberg, reporter at The New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. 
leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>